Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hi everyone and welcome to the British Canoeing Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. Uh, my name is Lee Pooley, I'm the Director of Coaching and Qualifications and I'm joined again by Scott, Scott Hines, who is the racing tech chair uh, and very busy in that particular role. And I, I seem to keep you busy, Scott. And, and um, I would apologize, but actually the, the the work that's coming out of that group is actually first class. But also you, you've started your new role as the sprint coach developer um, within the talent program, which is actually fantastic. And um, it sounds like you're starting to get underway with that particular role in and in the next two weeks, you'll be uh, you'll be fully fully into that particular role. So, um, how are you how are you finding your first sort of couple of weeks, Scott, within uh, British canoeing? Right, so far, it's been good. Uh, juggling plates. So, uh, as you say, I'm still in post currently. So, um, I'm transitioning. <laughs> but it's good so far. Thank you. Okay, brilliant. Well, it's great to have you on board, Scott, and um, I do know, and I'm very confident that you'll have a, a fantastic Im- impact on the talent club coach program so uh yeah great to have you on board what we uh what we're here today to talk about scott is um this particular podcast we're going to be discussing coaching from the bank and specifically a push bike being an avid cyclist this interests me uh interests me loads so why scott are we are we discussing this this evening and why is it important to discuss this particular topic it's quite interesting that you know, you, you ask the simple question, why? Um, a lot of coaches will cycle along the bank. What I find really amusing is that they cycled to the canoe clubs on their £6,000 carbon road bike in all the gear and then get a rubbish old bike that's been pulled out of the river and cycle that along, struggling to keep up with their legs around their ears and everything. So um, we're just going to hopefully go through the, the, the common practices that we all know that don't put in place and then some of the finer things that um, you need to think about if you're new to cycling along the boats you know watching the training coaching and, and the do's and the don'ts and what to watch out for so scott do you is this is this quite common practice for racing coaches to to operate from a push bike I think it is for a lot of areas. Yeah, there are some areas where the coaches will be out on the water with slower groups, but as the groups get faster, they either have to take themselves or you'll have a coach on a bike or and some obviously are in a speedboat, but mostly bikes are cheaper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, licenses and launches and probably time is- impacts as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I'm, you know, Obviously, you know, as, as most listeners know, listening to the podcast that, that I've been involved with uh, over the last couple of years is my passion is really within coaching. So I'm I'm really keen to probably focus on that initially and probably see where see where the other things sit in. But in, in terms of the coaching practices, what what sort of things do we do coaches need to be aware of or what are the things that they need to consider? when setting up their bike appropriately for a good coaching session so if you're on a shared bike you've got to take the time to actually make sure that it's ready to roll because usually you pull it out 
with two minutes to go and find that it's got a puncture and someone's put it away for you or all the saddle and everything's been changed so i mean that that sounds silly but it it, it always happens um and then it's in good working order it can be really hard to keep up with a group when you've only got one gear <laughs> and it's usually the lowest gear just simple maintenance but also um when you're looking at the sessions what is it that you're actually doing so if you're you've got multiple groups and you're setting them off at stages um it can be very hard to get back to the front group to say you know one minute two minute three minutes after you set the fastest group off chasing them down um so it, it's actually planning your sessions within your limitations which is i think where new people who have come from the river onto the bike think well it won't be a problem catching up and it can be quite quite hard work um, <laughs> harder than people imagine especially if it's soft ground as well that's another one you know if you're, you're cycling along a towpath and it's a nice flat tarmac towpath the world's all wonderful but when it's muddy wet slippery it can be quite hard to actually catch up and you know you know within the racing world you work with metrics and and data and 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 data collection how does that work on your bike well so <laughs> one of the things i think you'll see some people do and and i don't count myself in this is um filming from their camera as they cycle along which is fine but obviously you're riding one-handed and you're looking at the people that you're filming and not where you're going there are better ways to do that i feel um and also with the watches as well again one-handed cycling because you've got your watch on your arm and you're watching it and then you're watching the countdown as you're calling along um and it's a lot easier just to put the watch on the bike in front of you and then you can be you know watching looking forward and seeing where you're going and the watch gives you a reason to look forward rather than just keeping looking at your paddlers beside you. I think simple tricks that someone doesn't tell you until you found out. And, and I think that's one of the, the beauties of these podcasts, isn't it? It's, you know, some people might feel that it's stating the obvious, but actually, you know, we've all gone through some apprenticeship, haven't we? Yes. And we've all learned, we've all learned through our, our mistakes or, or our adjust, adjustments and, um, it is nice to actually give people a bit of a head start or a little bit of a foot up. Those little uh, light bulb moments. You think, ah, that's how they do it. I think it would be useful, Scott, if you could just give us a bit of an indication how you set it up, set yourself up for a successful coaching session from the bike. You know, um, from you know selecting the selecting the bike. Is it yours or is it a shared one? Uh, all the way through to to when you you get on and start cycling. I tend to have a shared bike um just because whenever i leave mine there it disappears so i have a shared bike and i just make sure yeah, that it fits um that all the tires are hard so i sort all that out before i get my group on and uh, i give them a warm-up to do and tell them where i'll meet them and then the, the session will start from there um one of the nice things I think from a bike that you don't get on the water is you get an overview of the group and who's doing what within the group within the efforts. You get a, a more in detail picture. So if you're actually on the water coaching with them, you know, you have to be behind to see what everybody's doing. And then you have to be quite a lot quicker than the group to be able to do that. 
helicopter on the bike you can actually watch who's doing what who's moving around and who's paddling well who's not the one difficulty is from the bike you're obviously going to be a minimum of three or four feet taller than them so you're looking down and sometimes you know you can be 10 feet higher cycling along so your view is not the same as when you're paddling beside them so you're not getting to see the same angles of the hands and such like that you would do if you were down low you don't get to see the boat movement for left and right if it's wrong in the same way so um so it has its advantages but there are some caveats that you know you have to be aware that every so often you're going to have to get down to eye level with them and see what they're doing as well um it also does mean you can go closer to them if you've got that if they're coming up an edge and you can get close and you can see and you know you can video and such like as they come past and then catch up and then get ahead video come past and then you can give feedback and such like so um and then i i try and make my rests in the places where i have to do the work <laughs> so, <laughs> um if I have to cross over something or go around something, that's where the rest is. So that uh, for the group, so that I can then get ahead and, and do my bits um, without interfering in the efforts. And do you do you ever sort of cycle ahead to get to a, like a bridge so you can get a different angle, or, or or do you not do that type of stuff on the bike? Yeah, I do. On certain efforts, you know, there are set points where you can get to, and then you can watch them come past. Uh, and then watch them retreat as well um, so you get a good viewpoint uh, both high and low so if you've got the opportunity it's it's quite nice because when you're up high you can see different movements than when you're at eye level yeah i try to do that and then i've i've got bridges as well so like you say go up to the bridge and you can see them um coming underneath you going away and get various different viewpoints a bit like when the, you see the drones at the world's yeah. such like you know you get all those different views and what you know just as a you know just put you too much on the spot because we are talking about coaching from the bike how would you separate from you know what you can observe lower to what you can observe from a, a higher vantage point what would you say is is it subtle differences is it big differences well sometimes people will be shorter on one side than the other and i mean you know the entry will be closer to them uh, uh so they're limping in effect you can't always see that so well uh if they're you know if they're showing you their good side mm. and then when they're showing you the bad side you haven't got a reference as such to see it so you know it might only be a few centimeters or something but you can see that they're limping whereas when they're uh, underneath you going underneath a bridge or something you know you've got that and they look like they're doing sort of the Charleston or whatever it is, you know, sort of the yeah. um, So you can actually see things like that. You can also see someone taking out too wide or too narrow, which you can't see from above. So, uh, which you can see from above, not from the side, from the bank. So you, you get different viewpoints of, of technique, but also, you know, wash hanging, whether someone's sitting in too close, too far, um, which you can see from above. But when you're sitting from the side, you can see the nose, the heights. So you, you, know, you can tell if someone's just popping over the back and falling off, mm -hmm. um, which you can't always see from above. So, yeah, different different modes for different things.
yeah no no it's, it's 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 really interesting and i think you know that that might help you know some of the listeners and the coaches you know really consider of what they are what they're gaining from that particular from that particular point uh, you know from from an elevation point to from on the side and i really like you know when you say sometimes you may not be you might only be observing the side that that they that they are they are good good on uh, and not getting a getting a view from the other particular aspect today i mean people won't you know listeners won't be won't be sort of registering this but it's today when we're doing this recording it's the it's the 21st of june it's the longest day and one of the aspects that we got throughout the summer is that we've got a lot of daylight but we know that your racing training goes right throughout the year how do you work with the you know in the in the winter months with less daylight hours because i'd imagine by the time you turn up to the club in the evening it's dark i'm particularly lucky that it never gets dark 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 where we are so we have lots of orange light pollution um however um twilight's the harder part <laughs> so when you're cycling down a towpath with all the uh, the trees hanging over um, usually it's wet so it's dark it's slippery um, and the trees are lower because all the water weight we try uh, it's hard to do stopwatch stuff then um, you know specific um, distances at times and such like it, you can't do so it tends to be you know set times for watch beeping or races to places etc and then in the dark yeah you, you don't want to be cycling along in the dark too much trying to watch a group um <laughs> because you'll have the towpath to yourself in the dark normally um and if if you haven't it'll be another cyclist or a rowing coach or a runner with lights on and such like but um you, things jump out at you in the dark uh, i don't mean people i mean trees and bushes and banks because you know you're watching your group and you, have, you haven't got such a field of vision. And also the road traffic that blinds you as they drive past on full beam. It's always a treat. <laughs> so good to have a set of lights on. And um, but yeah. it sounds like there'll be less traffic on those paths compared to the summer months. So what, what are you seeing at the moment, you know, in the summer months in terms of things to, things to be aware of? So ironically, it's, it's often more dangerous in the summer um it's more crowded we have a lot more people walking along the towpaths enjoying you know the outdoors enjoying the river the beautiful landscapes and stuff and they do question why you have to shout stop go <laughs> as you're cycling past them um but lots of dog walkers lots of people walking along with kids on push bikes and such like so they're, they're completely unawares of yourselves it may be the only time that they visit the river, so they have no concept of the speed of your group, the speed that you have to go to catch up with them. Um, and they are oblivious, usually, especially ear pods. You can't tell if someone's got ear pods in. So you're ringing your bell, you're honking your horn or whatever, jump out as you come past. So um, summer is actually a lot more busy, I think, and a lot more dangerous. Um, pubs as well. I don't know if everybody has, but you know this time of year the side of the river will be filled with pubs and people swimming and such like having a good time but they don't always appreciate you zooming through on a bike so that you know some some way of um 
trying to tell people that you're around, like the use of a bell and a bell yeah. on your bike is is probably a, a sensible option. Yes, I mean bells always seem a little bit um, old fashioned, but they are reasonably non intrusive. Mm. It's it's um, people tend to hear a bell rather than when you're shouting. They don't so for some reason. <laughs> They don't hear you unless, of course, you say stop, go, and then they turn around and wonder why. But yeah, if you're calling to them or you're asking them to stay left or stay right, it just completely blank you, in my experience. But you do have to be nice to them because, you know, you know, in 30 minutes or so, you're going to come back past the same people. I was just going to say that, Scott, you know, it's, you know, you are going to probably come back and or if they're local as well you know you know boat owners etc so it's almost just having that awareness that you will probably meet them again sometime yes especially the boat owners yeah they can be moored up and i learned this the hard way and this is one you know if you do do races to places and somebody is moored up in the same place the whole time they don't always appreciate you (laughs) stopping right by their boat especially in the morning sessions and the evening sessions as they sit there with their bubbles rocking as the waves all come past and then you're shouting go again you know so yeah you may have to adjust for harmony's sake yeah yeah shared space isn't it yeah in in terms of in in terms of i mean this is all really you know really interesting that you know i think you know i think hopefully listeners will find it some, some useful tips um you talked about half an hour um now, some coaching sessions could be a lot longer than that. Do you ever do you ever take a bag with you with with any supplies? Not just for yourself, Scott, but you know. When I'm when I'm really good, and I'm not often always really good, but when I'm really good, yeah. Or in certain conditions, I'll take a bag with some extra kit for some of my paddlers, and also sometimes I, for myself. One of the things I found when I was on a bike, it's a lot hotter or it's a lot colder. It's a lot harder to get the, the, the temperature right. So you know what you wear on the river at certain times of the year in certain sessions doing that. You know, you just practice. You go out on the bike, you know, in the summer in a t-shirt and you're absolutely frozen because you're belting along and there's been a headwind. And then in the winter, when it's really cold and you're dressed up, you're absolutely boiling. It's sweating away because there's only so much clothing you can take off and wrap around your waist without it getting caught so uh, yeah a little bag does wonders Uh, again that's something that you learn with experience because otherwise you end up with a bike with all your clothes tied to it and uh, it's not very sensible (laughs) we've all done it but (laughs) first time you go over the handlebars because your jumper's got caught in the front wheel you think I'm going to bring a bag next time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, one of the one of the things that um you know the racing the racing community and, and the athletes and, and coaches um are good at is looking after each other on the water you know and you know but it is that it, it is the responsibility of the coach to ensure an appropriate safety framework in terms of you know your group you know the athletes that you are have got a level of responsibility because they're within that within that coaching group um they are reasonably good at you know maybe if someone capsizes bringing them to the side but do you ever do you ever consider about you know carrying throw lines or 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 other rescue aids i haven't carried throw lines 
this is just me personally because of the area that I coach in. But I understand and I do know a, a number of coaches that contributed to, you know, the, the coaching from a bank do. They're in a slightly different environment. Um, so in certain situations, if people were to fall in and I'm coaching, they would be 100 metres away from me. And, you know, me throwing a throw line to them when they're 10 feet from the bank wouldn't be very helpful. Um, uh, but on the other hand, I do sometimes think it would be quite useful to be able to pull them in just a bit quicker. So I, I think that's a, that's an individual's call in their location. Uh, um, and the, the only reason I don't is because a lot of the time the people are either beside the bank where I am, and that's fine, or they're on the other bank or they're going down the middle where I couldn't get to them with a throw line anyway. And we've got a group around them that can rescue them. But um, in the winter, I definitely take spare kit, you know, because it, it's just nice if you have had a swim, put some spare kit on. Yeah. And I think it is, you know, it's a thing that, you know, coaches do is, you know, they consider, they, they, they do a dynamic risk assessment, don't they? Yeah. They go, you know, what is, what is it I need today? You know, who, who is it that's in the group? What's the weather? What's the environment like? And then, you know, I don't think there can ever be a, a set thing that people, that coaches need to, to do, because actually it would be, it would either be not enough or, 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 or too much. So actually, you know, I, I, I really support, you know, that, that individualized safety framework consideration at the beginning of the session and if the throw lines needed, okay, carry one. If it's not, then, then, then so on and so forth. It, it just, it, it's just interesting, you know, that, you know, in some areas there's quite high, high sides, isn't it? In canals yeah, uh, that would be, might be useful to actually carry a, a throw line for that particular purpose yeah and, and th there are places as well that you know uh, that are inaccessible to get out mm -hmm. in my on my stretch with trees and everything you know you can't get to the bank because the trees are hanging out 20 30 meters and you'd have to clamber through so you know the option is you have to swim to somewhere else um or, or self-rescue in the middle with other people so yeah um but then the same issue there is that you couldn't get to them with a throw line. But I, I do know some coaches, you know, who paddle through some certain parts of built up London um, and they'd love a coach with a throw line. <laughs> it's just that you just pull them along and get them to another area. But yeah, but as you say, it, it's dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've you worn several hats over the years, you know, Scott, you know, you are you are a coach developer, you're a coach have been and, and maybe still are an athlete um we'll let you let you tell tell the stories but you you've actually you have been on the receiving end of being coached and probably from people coaches that have been on a bike putting the other shoe on well yeah putting the shoe on the other foot how, how, how does that feel you know what sort of things can you from a from an athlete perspective inform you know the understanding from a coach of what it feels like to be coached from the from a from a bike I, I liked it personally because you could be given instant feedback, you know. Um, so I might have a conversation with my coach beforehand about certain aspects of my technique. Uh, and then you know, I just get a shout, you know, relax or head up or, you know, hand down. Um, and, the, and the nice bit, which you don't realize as an athlete, is everybody hears that 
and they think it's to them. <laughs> so everybody starts the battle better when, when actually it was directed at me, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, you, you're getting feedback in real time rather than at the end of it. Um, it's limited feedback. You can only take so much on board, but you know, certain things open your hand or relax your face you know, or um, so it's instantaneous because you, you, you haven't realized you, you're gritting your teeth and you're, you're, you know, you're tensed up and everything because um, if you had realized you wouldn't do it so obviously that kind of feedback is instant and and that was good um, but also um, on certain efforts you know how much time you've got left so we would train without a watch uh, and in my day, we didn't have GPS and such like, so you couldn't see your boat speed. Um, but so the coach had the watch. So you were counting strokes for, and then when you get to the minute, you'd start again, start again. And when that transfers across to the regatta course, you know how many strokes you're doing at a certain speed and such like. So that was, I mean, we could have done that ourselves with a beep, beep watch, but you tend to find people watch a watch and their technique suffers because they're looking down and therefore their head's down and such like. So you, you could concentrate on just what you were doing and the coach would be giving you feedback, giving you the times and such like. So, um, but also in terms of tactical stuff, moving around the group, um, you could definitely be told quite quickly when you were doing things well or when you were doing things wrong. So that kind of feedback, I think, is pretty instantaneous, but it has to be small, it has to mm -hmm. be chunked so that people can take it on board because they're under physical and possibly emotional stress at that point. So the limited feedback and they have to understand what it is they're being told as well. So decent feedback beforehand of what we're going to do, why we're going to do it, what's going on. And then you can give, you know, what sound like simple instructions or feedback as we're going along. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's a really good point, isn't it? You know, that that pre-programmed, that, that discussion right at the very beginning before people are getting onto the water with the athletes, with the paddlers to really go, this is what we're going to focus on today. These are the, the areas that, or the area or the areas um, that we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to look at today. And then when they're on the water, you know, as you rightly say is, it's the precision of feedback isn't it it's not about a, a lengthy discussion it's about short sharp precise feedback that that can be understood in an instant yeah um, but that only comes from the person on the water having that conversation at the early stages or yeah. at the start yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. So, Scott, what I'm, I think, you know, for me, this has been really interesting. And um, what I'm going to push you for is your five top tips from Scott on coaching from a bike. So, number one sounds a little bit silly, but get feedback from your group as to whether they can hear you or whether you're too loud because you have no understanding. You can be bellowing and they might not hear you or you can be bellowing and everybody in the county can hear you and they're like why is that idiot shouting at us so it it's always good i think every day to check that they can hear you or if you're too loud you don't need to be shouting because you can hear my voice now so that's number one take a pump because unless you get an absolute puncture puncture you know you can keep 
so pumping it up in the offs and cycle along to the next one <laughs> yeah, so the, the efforts might get shorter and um and the rests get longer as the bike get as you get tired bumping it up but always take a pump with you um in the winter be prepared to be hot and cold and wet uh, having enough clothing with you for yourself and for the group because the group generally is working hard enough to keep themselves warm and they're dressed appropriately it's you that is standing around absolutely soaking and a three minute off absolutely frozen not doing any work and then when you're cycling you've got the wind blowing and you're not working hard enough to keep warm so be very aware of that having enough clothing watch make sure your watch is on the handlebars beeping away and, and if you need two watches you know have one on the handlebars and another one on your arm but don't sit there cycling along watching the watch all right because you're meant to be watching the group you're meant to be watching where you're going um you can't do well most people can't do three things i can't do three things so watch on the handlebars um and then lastly and again this sounds frivolous but make sure your bike is gonna be there when you turn up <laughs> if you've got a shared bike you don't want someone to have taken it home to repair it for you and not told you or even if it's your bike, make sure that someone isn't borrowing it for a session because they got there 10 minutes before you did. I'm not the kind of person that can cycle a lot, uh, run along beside a group. <laughs> They'd have to be a very slow group. So yeah, make sure your bike is either locked or everybody else knows that it's your bike and on pain of death, they don't borrow it. Scott, it sounds like you learned the hard way with uh, number five. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> following the big boy session on a BMX. <laughs> yeah, you only do it once and you make sure you bike your bike, yeah. Yeah, not not the most ideal bike to do a to, to do a racing session. No, thousand meters on a BMX, flat out, no. <laughs> oh, Scott, as as always, um really, you know, really enjoy you know our, our chats together and um and, and I'm really pleased that uh, we're able to record some of them. Um, obviously, we don't record all our chats, but it's, it's nice that we're able to record some of them that, you know, that, that go onto this podcast and, and enables some people to to listen to it. Um, and it may be a it might be a nice little reminder for some of the experienced coaches, but it could be a real a real sort of tick in the box for new coaches coming through to to, to go. I need to set it set my bike up properly. These are the things I need to consider. So really appreciate your time, Scott. Um, what I'm really pleased about is that Scott and the, the racing technical group and, and others within the community have really helped um, and contributed to a guidance document that we that will now be on the British Canoeing Award in Body Digital Library. And it's called Bank-Based Coaching from a Bike. So if you want to go into the digital library on the British Canoeing Award in Body website, you'll be able to download that document or view that document uh, it's there. And it, it goes over some of the areas that we spoke about today. Um, so, Scott, thanks very much for your time today. Um, and uh, I hope everyone uh, enjoyed listening to our uh, chats. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.